to have you here. Happy Friday and thanks so much for checking in. I know I also uh, may have hectored, uh, sorry, uh, opined this week on a little bit of the self-flagellation that Ryder fans do. You know, let me beat myself up even more. The two quarterbacks in this Sunday's game, I was just chatting with Belton and uh, what Belton has, I, I wrote it down then I lost it. I always do. What was Belton's uh, call on the game? Um, Twenty-two seventeen, I think he's got. Yeah, I stand to be corrected. I could be misstating that. But clearly, a pretty defensive game. Montreal Alouettes uh, in Hamilton and the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. He sees Winnipeg taking it, defensive game. I don't disagree with that. I think it's going to happen. But you've got Cody Fajardo quarterbacking the Alouettes. You've got Zach Kolaris quarterbacking Winnipeg, and then this is where this Ryder fan thing kicks in. Well, we let them both go. They were both quarterbacks for us, yada, yada, yada. I mean, take what you knew then. Take what existed then. Zach Kolaris, 2018-2019, concussions. Then, opening game 2019, serious concussion. I mean, there's a point at which you reach. Now, he's done very well since being picked up by Winnipeg, and this is for them a fourth potential Grey Cup win, and I, I just wish Winnipeg well. I mean, if it don't, I don't like them at Labor Day. I like them even less at the Banjo Bowl. But clearly, this is something where uh, the Blue Bombers uh, may have met their match with uh, the Alouettes, and the fact that Jason Moss was our offensive coordinator, all of you disliked him. Goes to Winnipeg as head coach. None of us were particularly impressed last year with Cody Fajardo. I don't think he'd underperformed badly. So, I mean, and now does some of this fall on the team? Yes. Our coaching structure? Yes. Some of our decisions, perhaps. But it just, it pains me to see you beating yourself up. That's my point. And our time will come. So I was just mentioning as we were heading into uh, the segment with Belton, and I, I'll, I'll dispense now with this real thing, but long before all of these problems and challenges with the, I'm just calling them the Regina Exhibition Association. Let's get back to first principles. Um, somebody thought it was cute about five years ago. They did a rebrand. And you remember, branding is the way we all live now. So the Regina X, what's their legal name? Regina Exhibition Association LTD. R-E-A-L. Real. And it became real this, real that, real the other thing. And it just bugs me because you always have to explain it. Even to Reginans. If you go, um, hey, I'm going to the real district. They'd go, what part of town is that? I think Cathedral is really nice. I think downtown is real. I mean, no, no, it's the real district. Of the exhibition area. Oh, yeah, okay, got it. Or some people just say, oh, Everest. Oh, yeah, out there, okay, um, as we used to call it. So this idea that real would become synonymous with this mega, huge exhibition area hasn't really happened. And if you have to keep explaining what real is, and we all do, but it bugs me, like the real CEO. What about all the other CEOs? The real board of directors. What about all the other? Like, are they unreal? Are they phony? Are they artificial? Make-believe? No. So... Just drop this real business. But that may be the least of their problems. So the Regina exhibition is massive. 
I'm going to be there at the International Trade Center Tuesday, Agribition next week. I can hardly wait. Drop by and come and see me. Say hello. So in addition to the Viterra International Trade Center, you've got Mosaic Stadium, the Brant Center, Queensbury Convention Center, the Cooperator Center, the Affinity Plex. I mean, all sorts of great stuff there. It's huge. Huge exhibition area. And then they've even got this district now where they're starting to commercialize it. They've got that one McDonald's. They've got some other things going on. Well, here's the problem. Heavy losses, massive debt. Now, much of that comes originally from the pandemic. I couldn't imagine what it would be like to be in the events business and have everything closed down with the pandemic. But I would argue respectfully the Saskatoon Prairie Land Exhibition is not in the turmoil that Regina's Exhibition Association is. So there was the debacle where somebody thought it was a good idea because the Regina Exhibition Association seems to want to absorb everything. The city gave it tourism. It's already struggling under all the debt load from the pandemic, and then you give it tourism on top. It totally screwed that up with the tourism debacle. So now the city's taking tourism back. But at the bottom line of all of this is they come to the city for a five times plus increase. The city usually gives them about one, 1.1 million. They ask for 5.8 and it's directly to address the financial situation. Then they're pleading poverty on capital improvements. You've got leaky roofs and the like. Well, an infrastructure that big, what are you doing with it? So MNP comes in, the consulting firm. And Nikki Anderson, the city manager, here's a couple of quotes from council the other day. If there is one central theme to MNP's conclusion, it's that for real, sorry, she says it, I refuse to say it, that for the Regina Exhibition Association to become financially self-sufficient, one must seriously consider significant changes to the business model. When it comes to the Regina Exhibition Association, we need to talk about reality. As you're about to hear, it's not fair to continue to expect Real to financially sustain itself under its current mandate and its current business model. I know that what I'm saying about the Regina Exhibition is not the typical optimistic, ambitious narrative we've become used to, but as the MNP report will show, numbers simply don't lie. So operating losses, which already have been in the neighborhood of uh, four, to, four to five million dollars, will continue in the next three years at four to five million and could potentially grow to seven to nine million every year starting 2027 once the province's gaming agreement expires. As you remember, the exhibition both in Saskatoon and Regina used to have casinos and then the provincial gaming agreement took those out and paid them for X number of years. Well, that's going to end in 2027. So, MNP concludes that the Regina Exhibition Association is overbuilt, has too high a cost structure, the current business model is not sustainable, the asset portfolio will need higher levels of subsidy no matter what model the city goes with. And they're presently being audited by the feds for $7.5 million they received on the wage subsidy in the pandemic. I'm Gormley. This is 980 CJME and 650 CKOM.
have you here. What a fabulous looking Friday into a weekend that has been much the same way this entire week has been. Clear skies, big blue sunny skies, and temperatures nicely in the single digits, even warmer in some parts. Okay, I was mentioning the RCMP. Uh, There are a series of hearings underway, and I referred to this, I want to say it was a week or so ago. The hearings are from NSI COP. It's no easy. NSI COP, the National Security and Intelligence Committee of Parliamentarians. And we've talked about this before. Each of the parties puts forward usually very senior MPs, both in terms of tenure, uh, respect in the party. Uh, they are sworn as top secret cleared individuals. So they have the same clearance that many of the top security people in the country do. They review documents within that security clearance. They will do committee work, as the name implies, on national security and intelligence work. Well, they've been reviewing some functions recently, the RCMP. So the RCMP, and for many of you, you already know this, there are two main policing obligations. There's contract policing, which the force does around the country, Saskatchewan, Alberta, most other places, for local and regional law enforcement. So this is a contract with the provinces, with the territories. Now, there are some places that don't have this, namely Ontario, which has the Ontario Provincial Police, Quebec, which has the Sûreté du Québec, or the uh, SQ. Everywhere else across the country, in greater and lesser numbers, the Mounties provide policing. So that's the function uh, that they do. It's important. There's also the federal policing wing. And this is where, think of the RCMP as being the FBI. And they already do this work. National and international crimes like foreign interference, money laundering, drug trafficking, certain crimes that cross borders and jurisdictional areas in Canada, uh, forgery work, counterfeiting. So that's the federal policing. And we often used to joke that often those people work in Toronto, Montreal, Ottawa, Vancouver. They wear suits. They sort of do and look like the FBI. Now, I'm being overly general. I mean, a lot of Mounties wear uniforms. But the federal police and the contract RCMP that you and I know. So the federal policing wing reports, and this comes from uh, the RCMP itself, they are down about a 1,000 police officer positions. In terms of vacancies, they have 507 vacancies, an additional 500 positions they still haven't filled. So in an email to the Globe and Mail, uh, an RCMP spokesperson says, federal policing today has 5,000 employees. An optimal complement would be 6,000. So what the RCMP is dealing with right now, or it's certainly the parliamentary oversight in NSI COP, is this. Does Canada move ultimately to a separate federal policing kind of police department and leave the RCMP in what you think of them as being, which of course is contract policing. That's the dilemma. 
or do you bulk up the RCMP, go back to what it has done for a hundred plus years, pretty effectively, well over 125 years? Um, and do you say you still have those two divisions, contract policing and federal policing? My fear, Ottawa being Ottawa, which never met something. Okay, when was the last time Ottawa shrunk bureaucracy? Uh, show of hands? Okay, never. So there is a temptation and an irresistible bit of momentum that when all of this is done, somebody's going to say, we're going to have a new national policing agency. And then the RCMP will still keep its roots of community policing, uh, detachments, patrol, command, all the things uh, that you and I have relied on the Mounties over the years, which would be a huge bureaucratic undertaking? Or do you simply go back to first practices or first principles and say, just have the RCMP do better? And and this is not the blame of anybody in the command structures. In fact, it's not even the blame of the commissioner. And usually, um, most responsibility rests with the RCMP commissioner. You've had decades of this kind of erosion of federal policing. So, the parliamentarians are at this point pushing the Minister of Public Safety, Dominic LeBlanc, to fix the RCMP woes. So they're starting with the position, it can all work in the RCMP, but you need a thousand more positions in federal policing. You need clearer lines of distinction where contract policing and federal policing are different and where they overlap. So be clearer. And then they say... Failing that, NSI COP wrote in its latest report, it may be time for Canada to consider a standalone federal policing organization. So I don't know what's going to come of this. I fear that's going to be the alternative. And, of course, nothing says Ottawa like more bureaucracy and more people. So Gary Clement is one of the people out front. He's a former Mountie, wrote a new book called Undercover, Inside the Shady World of Organized Crime in the RCMP. He says for years, federal policing duties are so overwhelming, so complex, and so much ignored, Canada should have a separate standalone federal policing agency. He says, quote, we are a stomping ground for transnational crime, and we have serious problems. So, who knows? And, and of course, some of the critics, uh, Christian Luprecht, who's on with us all the time, he's a security expert at Queen's, he says the problem with the RCMP, because they have those two separate distinctions, is they cannibalize resources. So, one of the reasons federal policing has declined in terms of staffing and resources is that's been cannibalized down to the contract policing level in most of the provinces around the country. Eight of the ten provinces, so and all three territories. I did invite you. Of course, the beauty of Fridays here, absolutely anything on your mind, it's 877-332-8255. So carbon tax has become the two big words. Angus Reid Institute finding a mere 22% of people in the last month report that climate change is now a top issue for them. Just back four years ago, it was 40%. Mr. Trudeau has really killed the carbon tax. I mean, 
most of us thought it was folly at the beginning, but most Canadians now are calling on the highest number of Canadians, the carbon tax to be completely scrapped. And of course, in the middle of it all, you have this radical environment and climate change minister, Stephen Gibo, who has said he will not countenance any deviation. So he's seeing to it in the Senate that certain liberal appointed senators are killing this farm exemption on the carbon tax because the liberals have been so punished, as they should have been, for this very selective carve-out on home heating oil in the Atlantic. So it's a tough time, but this carbon tax story is huge. So Stephen Gibo is being pestered by a lot of the media. Will he step down if there's another carbon tax carve-out? If some region of the country is given relief, if some sector like farmers are given relief, he says, quote, I love being the environment minister. It's a dream job for me. I have no intention of leaving the job anytime soon. Canadians may decide otherwise, obviously, in our democracy. But for the time being, I want to stay right where I am. And there's been a lot of speculation after him so unequivocally stating no more carve outs. So, you as a farmer lose by Stephen Gibo staying. Stephen Gibo, please go. This is 650 CKOM and 980 CJME. I'm John Gormley. Gary Poyer is coming up, uh, top of the hour, financial planner, award-winning author. Brand new book on making retirement easy. And I laughed. Who would be thinking, uh, oh, okay. Yeah, I've got one more week left. This has been an amazing run. Normally this time of the day, because we'd be in green and white prognostication ramp-up mode, I would see all of these names on the screen of people calling in in advance of 12 noon to get ready with their football predictions. Well, alas, that all ended when the Riders didn't even make the playoffs. But I saw the name Dwayne and Carrot River, longtime school teacher, retired now, big Rider fan. But he does want to talk about something very interesting in football. Dwayne, welcome, sir. What's on your mind? First of all, uh, congratulations on your retirement. I can assure you it's worth the wait. (laughs) Thank you. But anyway, I was kind of amazed the other day, and I'm quoting you because you're a lawyer. Uh, this Marshall that played for the Riders so well and was a wonderful football player suddenly gets picked up for some sort of a gun violation. And suddenly, without him appearing one day in court or even finding out really what the charge was, which is nobody's business but his own and the legal system in Georgia, the Rough Riders let him go. I was astounded. I thought people in Canada were innocent until proven guilty. And especially during the off-season, there's no rush to let him go. (laughs) He's not doing anything football-wise right now. So I picked up the phone, and I phoned the Rough Rider Management Office, and they told me to leave a message and get back to me. This was on Monday. I think by Friday, if I haven't heard from them, I think, well, maybe the whole province needs to think about this, and who better to phone than John Gormley? You are very kind. Let me give you what the riders will tell you, and I, I happen to agree with it. Um, Dwayne, the golden thread of the criminal justice system is the presumption of innocence. So no man or woman can be brought before the courts 
accused of something and treated in a way they've done wrong until, of course, the state proves beyond a reasonable doubt that they're guilty. Until such time, or unless that happens, we presume they're innocent. That's a legal construct for the criminal courts. If you move into your business and my business, I mean, a good school teachers are a very good example. Somebody's accused of doing something uh, very, very serious. Well, first of all, that goes to fit. Even, you know, yes, in the law courts, they're presumed to be innocent. But what's the fit with our organization? Then it goes to reputation of the employer, because we are all certainly school teachers, certainly football players, maybe not you and well me, but but you know what I mean? So are you an ambassador for your company, your employer, even your industry? Many, many people, certainly football players are. So then you say, okay, does that reflect on us? So yes, there's a presumption of innocence, but there's the reflection on the employer. And here's the problem. There is fit. Uh, yes, Nick Marshall was an outstanding defensive back. The man was dogging it the last half of this season. You know, can you lose count of the number of touchdowns where people ran right through or right by Nick Marshall? I lost track. Now, let's say Nick Marshall was the starting quarterback, marquee, altar boy on the weekends, and everybody loved him. And I'm going to make a a commercially viable argument here. The team loved him. Team had a lot invested. So the team would say, you know, we better wait and see. You know, there could have been a gun left in a car he was using. It could have been his, you know, his, his, his auntie who, you know, likes leaving guns laying around. I mean, you give the guy a chance, but does the organization want to be associated with somebody who has this pall hanging over them? And I know it's cynical, but when they've had a year that wasn't very good, you just say, Hey, we're going to cut anyway. So I hope that's not an incomplete answer, but the riders would tell you, uh, they're concerned about the reputation of their organization and how all of that fits. Does that make sense, Dwayne? Well, I would just say there's a procedure. When I was president of the SDF, we had all kinds of cases where teachers misbehaved, yep. and uh, we suspended them. But we waited until we listened to their side of the story and the other side of the story, and I took away people's licenses, much to my chagrin, because they had misbehaved terribly. But I think right now they should have said he's on suspension until we find out differently and they wouldn't lose face at all. Procedural fairness is important in an employment setting. But again, that's a unionized employment setting. This is an entertainer who, yes, he's got a players association, but he signed a contract that likely Dwayne would have a form of morals clause within it. If he does anything that besmirches the reputation of himself or his team, that's a problem. But that hasn't been proven, John. Mm, the laying of the charge has. And I know that doesn't sound fair. And I know that in the procedural world where, you know, unions will grieve something, you've got a set of steps. It sounds inconsistent, but football's the entertainment business, and these contracts are written in a way the team can cut. Frank and Regina, you're watching politics and Mr. Trudeau. Briefly, what's on your mind, sir? I can't understand senior conservatives calling for the retire or the recall of uh, Trudeau. I think he's the best thing we could keep on the ground to run against. He's about as popular as a wet fart in a hot tub right now. <laughs> uh, he is indeed that. Um, you've put it uh, eloquently and succinctly. Um, although I'm not sure. I mean, I think senior conservatives want the man gone for the good of the country. 
Uh, and again, bring out their A game. I would love to see the elite Mark Carney try and explain to average Canadians a worldview. I mean, Trudeau at least can communicate. Mark Carney or the other front runner in the race, Krisha Freeland. Liberals, those are your two best. Bring them on. I think most Canadians would like to see how they'd fare. This is 650 CKOM and 980 CJME.